This is 1 in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. 1 in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am thrilled to have with me Kristen Soule, who is a professor of professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri and founder and executive director of the Echo Autism Communities. Kristen or Dr. Soule, how would you like me to? Kristen's great. No problem. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, And I'm hoping that you can mostly start us off with an introduction of who you are and your background, but also lead us into um, both both what's going on in Missouri, how the ECHO project got started, and then obviously um, we want to focus in on ECHO Autism. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I am a pediatrician by training and I have um, been practicing medicine for about 15 years, mostly in the space of developmental behavioral pediatrics. And so certainly love kids and love kids of all types of of brains and sizes. It's really a great uh, profession. So when I started practice, I was a general pediatrician for a couple of years, but in a really small amount of my time, and then was doing most of my work at an autism center here in central Missouri. Uh, One of the things that I noticed and continued to really uh, realize as the medical director of this, you know, fantastic autism center was that so many kids were on the wait list and so many were by the time they got to see me, frankly, still needing a lot of things outside of the primary question of what is autism. And so while my primary role was to answer the question, do you or don't you have autism? There was also so many other things um, that for example, sleep problems, GI issues, things like that. But the families had no meaningful connection to a a clinician like me or someone with autism expertise in their communities prior to getting into seeing, you know, our center. So that was really bothering me. And I wanted to try to figure out how to reduce the wait list uh, for diagnostic supports and services at our center. So after about 10 years of really working hard to reduce the wait lists, um, I realized that probably addressing the wait list the way that we kind of always had, which was increasing capacity, you know, hiring more people, trying to get faster or or get more throughput, as we call it, um, Mm -hmm. through our centers, that that might not be the best strategy. So I had learned about ECHO, which stands for extended for community healthcare um, outreach uh, from, I'm sorry, outcomes, oh my goodness, outcomes, extension for community healthcare outcomes um, from the founder of ECHO, whose name is Dr. Sanji Varora. Mm-hmm. He's at the University of New Mexico. And one of the cool things about him is he was struggling to serve patients, his patients with hepatitis C. And when I learned about the model um, and learned about why he made that model, I immediately realized that there was a huge parallel to the same issues going on in autism. So created Echo Autism, which is really an offshoot of the original Echo uh, in 2015. And we've been going strong ever since. The idea is to build capacity in local communities for autism best practices. But in order to do that, we have to do a lot of mentorship and partnerships around um, what that even means, what that looks like, how do we support professionals in our communities, whether that be a pediatrician, whether that be a psychologist, an early intervention specialist like speech OT, whether that be an applied behavior analyst, whatever the case may be, we know that many, many community folks uh, don't have autism knowledge. So ECHO is all about moving knowledge, not people. 
mm-hmm. so that we can generate best practice um, uh, best practices in our rural and underserved communities. All right. That is a great overview. I love it. And um, I would urge, just I'm just going to uh, throw in a couple of things that I have learned in preparation for this interview and some of the work we're doing at Anderson as we look at, you know, getting involved with ECHO. Um, autism, going back to, to, you mentioned the founder of ECHO overall, and, and that story um, that I think you can find if you, if you look, if you search it, um, about his work um, with people with uh, hepatitis C and diagnosing that is extraordinarily impactful. It is the tragic, but most um, sort of glaring uh, window, I think, into why um, moving knowledge, as you say, and not people and why focusing on increasing um, knowledge is kind of interesting as, you know, juxtaposed to increasing capacity, which you referenced before. There is such a huge, um, it's very highly connected, but there's also a huge difference, especially when you're looking at something um, that was so impactful. So I would, I'm not going to give all the details away, but I would encourage people um, to, to look for that story because it it really will um, give you a strong sense of why anybody who's followed in his uh, footsteps is is doing it, I think. So thank you for that background. Um, Let's, I'm going to go back to, to some of what you said initially. Um, when you were practicing pediatrics um, initially for those 10 years or so before you kind of came to this conclusion, so many kids on the wait list. And yet um, it wasn't, I think, I think that in our community, and, and when I say that, I mean the whole community of which the autism community is an enormous part and a growing part, um, the idea that, that there's been so much focus on getting the diagnosis, the initial diagnosis, maybe at the, um, to some degree, the cost of looking at the whole child and the rest of the quality of life of that child and the family, because there's so many things that can also affect a person who has the diagnosis. So do you have comments about that? I mean, I know that there are certain things like insurance and, and services that are keyly, you know, very connected to an autism diagnosis, but did we go too far with all that focus and kind of leave some stuff out of the loop? Well, I think that's a really, really great thing for us to talk through. And, and here's, here's what I always say to people. We are dealing with a person, right? A human being, which has so many amazing intricacies just in being human. Mm-hmm. They're a kid. They're a kid first and foremost. And I'm speaking as a pediatrician. Um, but their diagnosis, whether it be autism, whether it be developmental disability, whether it be intellectual disability, whether it be whatever, um, it still doesn't negate or take away from the fact that they are a child within a family, within a a school system, within a health system, within a community. And I think that's very much part of what we try to do within ecoautism communities is build up professionals who understand how to see a child as a child first, and then think about all of the different pieces that may be impacting their quality of life or their ability to thrive. And so one of the things that I know as a diagnostician, I mean, I'm, I, I do a lot of autism diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It is one moment in time. That one moment in time is very pivotal for many people, but it does not, frankly, um, it's, it's very small in the essence of the rest of their journey. So as a pediatrician, one of the coolest things I get to do is yes, I make lots of diagnoses, but then I follow those individuals for the rest of their life. So many, all, I'd say nearly all of my patients now, which I still am a practicing physician, um, 
have been with me since I diagnosed them at whatever age, you know, two, five, six, 10. Um, and now a lot of them are in their 18s and 18s and 20s, uh, or they're in their late teens and 20s, yeah. which is so awesome. And so that perspective of, yeah, the diagnosis might be really critical, mm-hmm. but it's nevertheless a moment in time. And that child is going to continue to grow and develop that family. The parents continue to grow and learn and love their kid, no matter how they think or, or do the things that they think or do. So that's a really, really important piece of what we do in ecoautism is really teach professionals how to think about what I call the 360 um, of a child, you know, and their family, right. And how, how all the parts and pieces interact yeah. with each other. You know, it's interesting. I, I love that. And thank you for getting into that piece with me a little bit more. Um, the way you're describing your experience as a practitioner now with these with these kids who were young and now are you know turning into young adults um, and their families because as a pediatrician I mean you're, you're meeting the family first often um, it reminds me very much of what it what it would probably be like to grow up uh, in a very tiny community um, or maybe even a very you know sometimes a rural community or 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 even some uh, there's lots of communities out there where they the 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 knowledge between family to family that gets extended to like, you know, the grocer and the, and the people at the post office and, you know, wherever you might be where it's much more intimate than it can feel in a larger setting or even in a really remote setting where there may not be as many people, but if you're spread out really far, it's hard to sort of get to know each other. But I always have this idea that, you know, um, what you described to me reminds me of, of the type of community where, um, it would just be a, a known sort of natural thing to say, oh, you know, my neighbor has a has a child who's um, got some challenges. And so we need to, you know, I need to teach my children about um, my neighbor's child and what that means and how they can be a part of each other's lives. And also, I might want to, you know, make a point of connecting with that child's parent as opposed to, you know, diagnosis and paperwork and checklists and all those things, which are a part of it, but not the whole thing. So I'm going to get off my little pedestal. I'm just, I'm excited to be learning more about this because it seems so, um, it seems new, but it also seems so old. (laughs) It does. It absolutely does. And I think that it's about, you know, it's, it's honestly, um, one of the biggest things that we try to do in ecoautism communities is really reduce the stigma around mm-hmm. diagnoses of all sorts. And so our, you know, our mission is to, um, to, to imagine communities where people with all abilities can live their best lives. And that's not just autism, right? That's, that's everything. And so, yeah, the neighbor kiddo might have a difference in the way they behave or the way they act or interact or what have you, but I bet you um, there's probably something going on in that, own home and that, you know, the person who's yeah. saying, oh, the neighborhood, right? Like there's almost, almost everybody has something going on. Right. And so thinking about what does that mean? How does that look? How do we as society react and, um, and include, and frankly, uh, it's more than inclusion. It's more about, you know, everybody comes at this world in many different ways and that's okay. Uh, That's a lot of what we really work hard to do um, with all of our different types of echoes. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, We have another minute or 30 seconds, maybe before we have to take a break, but I just want to add on to that last piece. Not only is there usually something else going on, you know, in, in every neighbor's house and family life or family dynamic, but 
there's also for um, for anybody who may not be facing a developmental disability or a challenge, maybe a learning disability or a physical disability or anything. I think by nature of just knowing your neighbors and knowing that you can do something and and being open to learning and and carrying that knowledge from here to there and everywhere, your life is being impacted positively at. Uh, as well. So I think the mission is coming to life and I'm very excited about it. Um, We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd love for you to take us through maybe an example of what an echo autism um, session or whatever, how, how it all works and how people can get involved. This is one in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo. Do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking with Dr. Kristen Soule, professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri and founder and executive director of the Echo Autism Communities. Um, Kristen. Love the first half of our conversation. It went by really quick. But um, I think that probably our listeners at this point are are hooked on the concepts we've talked about. I think it would be really helpful is if you um, got into some of the detail, like yeah. what would somebody expect? How do they find you? How do they get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So Echo Autism is a lot of fun. You think about it as a virtual learning community. So essentially, you can learn more about us at echoautism.org. And here's what it looks like. So if you are... Um, we're just going to take a uh, primary care uh, physician or nurse practitioner, uh, physician's assistant, something like that. Although we have many different kinds of echoes. So we have echoes for parents. We have echoes for early intervention folks, all kinds of things. But we're just going to take the doctor version or the nurse practitioner version for right now. So essentially you log into Zoom. So we are using technology to amplify scarce resources. So you, mm-hmm. as a, what I like to think of as a generalist, would show up and there would be, who would welcome you would be a hub team of people with uh, expertise in autism. So in the primary care space, typically a hub team is a person like myself. So someone with developmental behavioral peds background, uh, typically a clinical psychologist, a social worker to help with all those resources that we're still trying to learn and master, Um, a dietitian to help with GI issues and dietary issues that many kids in primary care experience, and then a parent or a person with autism are on the hub team. So Hmm. what that is hopefully sharing or Hopefully, as you're listening, you're thinking about, oh, that's an interesting group. Well, it's because we're trying to learn the 360 around that kid, right? So what are their underlying medical issues? Do they sleep? Do they eat? Do they pee? Do they poop? How's that all working and how does it impact their quality of life? What are we learning from lived experience? Either an autistic person or their parent caregiver have so much for us to learn from and to share. So this is a a very important opportunity. So when we say a hub team, think about that as a hub or a a nexus of um, expertise, but we are not the end-all be-all of that expertise. So our learners or participants are also there who are bringing information from their communities or about that particular kiddo um, because we have a case that we will also discuss. The cases are always de-identified. So there's never any information like personal information that's 
shared, but we can learn a lot from, I had this scenario happen. This is what it looked like. This is what, you know, this is what I did. I don't know what to do now. Right. And so then the whole community, both the generalists, so the learners and the specialists, the hub team are coaching each other back and forth on, well, here's what I heard you say. This is what I think might make sense in this, in this case. Um, and then basically going back and forth about how to support this patient or again, I'm a physician. So this person, they're just this child and their uh, caregiver family. So we always like to think about what's our next best step. Sometimes the next best step is moving towards a diagnosis. Sometimes the next best step, for example, for a person who already has a diagnosis might be, let's really get some more information about their sleep so we can help them sleep better. Uh, but anyway, so you come into the echo session, it's on Zoom, it's free, um, and you continue to learn together. And, and, and essentially over time, your skills grow, um, your skills and your comfort in working with individuals on the spectrum or individuals with disabilities uh, starts to grow. What I know is that many people with general knowledge um, think that they don't have enough experience or confidence to take care of something that's more complex. But once they learn and they have some what we call guided practice, they start to be like, I think I can do that. Uh, and that's exactly what we see. So now in Missouri and all around the world, actually, we have um, echo autism clinicians uh, who are parts of communities and they're raising more and more um, access to autism best practices right in their own, um, whether it's a rural community, an urban inner city community, all around the world, uh, people are participating in echo autism and it's been really, really fun to watch and see. Wow. And how long has this been going on that you've seen this kind of impact? Yeah. So we started Echo Autism, the very first one for primary care in 2015. Wow. And then since about 2017, 17, it's been growing like crazy. So we're in about 50 um, U.S. institutions. So that means specialists like myself are creating Echo Autism community hub teams mm-hmm. and then supporting generalists out in their rural and underserved um, kind of catchment areas. But we also have about 30 international locations who do the same thing. So we teach them mm-hmm. um, how to use the Echo model and then they start to spread and move that knowledge rather than moving patients. Uh, they're moving knowledge, they're coaching and guiding um, practice, yeah. uh, various different kinds of professionals. Really, really awesome. It's so exciting. And I, I love the moving knowledge uh, rather than moving people, because that really has been our model for so long. And, and we won't, don't have to get into, I mean, we won't have time to get into all the different um, huge challenges and obstacles that's both exacerbated and also to some degree created um, out of thin air. But uh, but really, one of the things that we talk about at Anderson a lot is um, is serving the underserved. And, and um, we've had an international program for years here that's growing and thriving where we have fellows that come to Anderson from for like 12 to 18 months. They train with us. Many of them leave um, and go back to their home countries. And a lot of times, depending on where they're from, uh, are creating either the first of any autism program for, for children uh, back where they're, they are from, or they're adding to a limited number of opportunities and resources. So we feel from afar that we've, you know, been able to help make an impact there. Um, but also, I mean, I think what you're doing is you're, what, what the echo autism communities are doing is having an impact right here in the United States and some of those more rural communities where I, I, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, just come to the, you know, come to the local city and there's lots of providers there. And it's like, yeah, but if you don't have a car, I mean, there's not like constant public transportation in all areas of this country. I mean, that's just a a complete myth, obviously. Um, And even if, and, and, and also if you think about it, which I know you do, but just to 
again, make sure everybody's really thinking about this. A child is part of a a family. It could be a large family or a small family, but by nature of being part of a family, there are other things going on with those members of the family. There's probably at least one job, sometimes two, that need to be held down, maybe even more. So anything when it comes to transportation, time, um, schedules are difficult enough. And then, you know, all of a sudden here's a day where you can get to the local city for an, uh, an appointment, but actually you can't get an appointment for, you know, 12 months. Exactly. And so we talk a ton about equity, right? So equity can take on several different, um, thoughts. And yet I always think to myself, should a child's outcome be directly impacted by their access, directly impacted by all the things that you just mentioned, transportation or whatever? Or is there a different way for us to think about this? Could we generate more access in local communities so that you do have an easier shot to getting to equitable autism best practices, right? So it's, yes, there's ways that you can create um, access by, you know, oh, okay, well, we can do, you know, free transportation. We can give you all these things, but that doesn't do much to build up that community. And so we are not just about moving that knowledge, but we also want to create communities that local capacity exists and people are learning more and more and more about what does it mean to be a, uh, you know, a community where all people uh, or people with all abilities can live their best lives. Exactly. And, And I think going back to what you said before about your approach of the 360, um, just by nature of of forcing somebody, both the child and the family members, into a stressful situation, which is outside of their home environment, outside of what they usually know, outside of all the sights and smells and sounds that that are sort of a day of you know typical day in the life, um, into a different space. I would assume there's probably some skew to some of those um, those appointments and those those discussions, those you know the comfort level. So I think um, you're you're feeding even more into that 360 idea by um, helping to create communities where that person's home and that person's daily life becomes the same place where, um, you know, they're being um, considered in terms of what would be most supportive and what most helpful to to them and to their entire family, because that's the environment they're in. Yep. Um, I love it. I think this has been extremely helpful. Um, we are running down to our last two minutes or so, Kristen. So can you just give us a snapshot of, um, you've had tremendous growth, obviously, since since 2017, what are your um, what are your hopes? You're you're a founding, you know, the founder of this program. So, what do you want to see happen in the next? Yeah. What has it been? In, I don't know, six years. Yeah. So obviously, we want to continue to see the model applied to places all around the world. And really, what we're trying to do is help people again have access to what they need when and where they need it. So yes, local is to me the the ideal state, but there's there's still going to be needs for people to be able to go to higher levels of care. Mm-hmm. And yet right now there's no access to anything. And so it's trying to figure out how can we as a community, meaning a global community, think through what is needed? Where do we need it? How do we get it? Who do we help professionally develop? How do we make sure that people are really understanding that autism is amazing? Frankly, um, there's a lot of pieces of autism that can be tough, but there are also lots of things about autism that are amazing. And so trying to help people be less, um, 
fearful in some ways, which is hard for me to understand, but I do understand that that's how some people uh, perceive it. And more about, you know what? It's going to be okay. How do we take that next best step? Whatever that might be as a professional learning about autism, as a parent of a child with autism, how do we take those next best steps? And then frankly, because I love what I do, (laughs) helping the individual with autism see themselves as so amazingly capable, capable of many, many things. It may be different than what is traditionally thought of as quote unquote capable, but nevertheless, when I get to a place in our world where all abilities are valued, that's when I'll know we're doing awesome. Now that could take a while, but we're going to keep on keeping on. You've got, you know, so far you're off on a really good start. I would say those are all great goals. I think shared by many, um, to me, it, it really is moving things in the right direction in terms of individual um, acceptance, appreciation, self-love and, um, you know, self-recognition and just a place for everyone. So I um, I applaud your efforts. I'm really glad that we had the chance to talk today. And I really want to thank you because um, I ECHO, I mean, just think about the acronym. It makes sense. You want the, you want the word about ECHO to spread just as much as an ECHO would from the Grand Canyon. So let's keep talking about it. And I I would encourage um, all of our listeners to go to, let's see, echoautism.org and you can learn more about this. You can see a great YouTube video um, that Kristen stars in also explaining some of this in the background and you can also um, get involved in, and start participating in some of these sessions. It would be great. Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Kristen Soule, founder of Echo Autism Communities and a professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri. Thank you so much for being on 1 in 44 today. Thank you. This is 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.